Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. I think the first topic, which a few people just mentioned is a shocker, which I would actually say is not a shocker to me, um, was the story of Nazi's brother with Roe and his, right, I think, again, I'm sort of forgetting where the, which episode, where what episode one sort of cuts off and, or I mean, episode two of, it, of the season, episode one that we watched, um, when, when Roe and Nati were meeting with their dad to talk about planning something for their mom, right? Which I think was in the pri- like uh, the first episode. Okay, that we watched episode. Yeah. I noticed, I was like, oh, Roe like seems to be wearing a velvet kippah. Like he's looking, that could just be coincidental, but like, that's velvet kippa typically rip is like Haredi. Um, so I just sort of noted that and was like, that's interesting that he's wearing a velvet kippa. He used to wear a kippa striga, right? That's like the show, Strugin, um, which is more identified with modern Orthodox. And then all of a sudden, the next thing we know, he's like getting married and right, like to a woman, to a woman, chick chock, like that. I should note, this is actually very common. It's okay, Karen. Um, it happens in the first 10 seconds. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Keep going. So like, so this is actually, so most, I, should, uh, I shouldn't say most, <laughs> many um, people who grow up in the from world and are struggling with questions of sexual identity along their journey um, go different directions. And I know a number of people, a number of gay Orthodox men who at some point in their journey went sort of Haredi and then often eventually then sort of went you know the other direction and realized, okay, I can't do that. Um, I think one of the challenges just generally of modern orthodoxy or Dati Le'umi, kind of like religious Zionist living of the sort that we have in Surigim is that like, there's a lot of gray, as we've spoken about a lot, right? There's a lot of, you know, when it comes to Nagia, like, you know, touching and relationships, there's just like a lot of, of grayness, which can be very complicated for people who are struggling kind of with their own internal grayness. And so it is not uncommon for people who say, I, I want to be from, I want to live this life. I'm, you know, attracted to people of the same gender what do I do to say, okay, you know what? I need to sort of get rid of this gray in my life and just go black and white Haredi and then potentially marry a woman. I know a few people who went that step. Most of the people I know like didn't end up marrying a woman, but, um, but like, I, I know, I think this is, even though it might seem shocking in certain ways, it's actually not uncommon as a as a part of the of a journey of the journey of uh you know someone goes to towards sort of self-acceptance um to sort of say okay i just i need to live a life that has fewer question marks and you know less room for less room for questioning and just kind of like this is what this is what i'm supposed to do and this is what i'm going to do so this is why it was less shocking to me anything to add so Michael says it seems that marriage is potentially fraudulent. I I wonder what the wife knows or doesn't know. She talked about how her hus- her friend's husband learns with Roe, and so I was wondering if that was like 
right? One of Rowie's kind of like gay friends who he learned with and that kind of thing. He also, at some point, if you remember, he talked about like, he said like to her, thank you. For everything. For everything, right? She like gave him something and he said, thank you. And she said, oh, no, it's no problem. He said like, thank you for everything. Which like almost to me made it seem like. I know. Like he, she, she knew she was taking on more than most people would be willing to. Maybe I could be wrong though. So I think um, you're right. I'm surprised that you picked up on that, but I think you're right. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm just also... saying like I, I usually I'm the one reading into those moments, and no. so I'm surprised that you read into that. But I think that that's I think that is what we're what we are meant, whether it's true or not, it's what we're meant to imagine is happening in that moment. That that she at least knows more than then we are aware that she knows at this point of who he is and what what kind of compromise it probably took for them to be married. I would also just say um, to what Rabbi Parnik just mentioned that uh, I think that it is, I don't know that it's fraudulent because I think that the, that the way in which he believes, similar to what Rabbi Pernick mentioned, um, in terms of finding this world to now have more stricture, more boundaries, whatever you want to call it. Um, I like the idea of saying black and white because in the Haredi world, you know, that's all you're saying. Um, <laughs> what, are you even um, talking about? what do you call it when someone does that? And they're like, all right, there's a, like, like blackified, right? Like that was like the term that they, right? Yeah. Um, but that I just lost my train of thought. Oh, that it's possible that he believes that by taking on this new religiosity, that he's now more open to the possibility of being married to a woman, even if it's not a hundred percent that he is attracted to her, like he is attracted to men. So I don't know that it's fraudulent or if it's just naive, um, but I don't think that he entered the relationship believing that he was kind of duping her into some something that um, that he doesn't at least believe himself he's involved in. <laughs> Renee, did you want to say something? You had your hand up. I was going to say a lot of what Rabbi Pernick already said, but um, I'm, I was kind of also curious when she said thank you for everything. If maybe she doesn't have her own kind of baggage, which we don't know yet what yeah. that might be, and that maybe she's part of the the double duping or whatever, you know, like they're each filling that stick for the other. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, he could have he could have just stayed with. Uh, with uh, what's her face? Right. Yeah. Maybe right? she can't have kids, right? And which in the Haredi world is really difficult. Um, maybe so she's pretty. It would be surprising if she knew that. I feel like. I mean, what if no? She, she could know that even though even before marriage. I guess that's true. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely true. I don't. I don't know that. Well, we know he wants kids, actually. So. That's yeah, yeah, no, all I'm saying, okay, anyway, sorry I brought it up as an example. Yeah. All I'm saying is that maybe they're in, in um, uh, agreement with Renee, maybe there is something about her own status of being a wife that she knew was going to be difficult for her in that world, and mm-hmm. therefore marrying him where he was going to have difficulties getting married in any of the, the Jewish 
uh, realms that he's dabbled in, uh, maybe this was a really good shidduch. We don't, we don't know yet. Debbie yeah. and Steve. So my family's in the Haredi community. And, um, so it's, um, very interesting, the dating, dating. Yeah. So mm-hmm. literally that, that's really typical three dates, but when they go on a date, the purpose of dating is to see if you are on the same page. How many kids do you want? How many times a day do you daven? You know, so it's possible that they discuss this, or it's possible that after three dates, um, they don't really know each other really that well, and they're going to spend the rest of their marriage getting to know each other. Right, right. And I think in certain ways, it also makes it easier than like the situation with Ruut, where they're dating for like months, and he's sort of like doing all this back and forth, and he has like time to think about it. In some ways, it's easier just sort of as you're saying, Deb, you just be like, okay, I'm going to do this, three dates, done, marriage, whatever, and, like, I'll figure it out. But I'm sort of committed now as opposed to, with, you know, like with Ruud, it's sort of like they have to figure it out. You have to figure out, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this now? It's like, no, it's I, I did it. Now it's a done deal. And, like, we'll spend the rest of our lives figuring out how we make it work. But it's no longer a question about whether we're going to do this or not. Neither seem to be really the model for how to go into relationships. Super great models, I would say. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. It's Rabbi Pernick's model, the three date and get married model. Yeah, it's the best. Um, Any other thoughts on this particular topic? We have one more topic. Somewhat related. What was the, what was the whole thing with Ruth going to the Sheva Brachas? Do you think it was just for her to see what she lost out to? I think it's her group of friends. I mean, I, yeah, it's awkward, and I think she was curious, to your point, but those are her people, so if she didn't come, I think sometimes when you're in those situations, it's even weirder if you don't go, as opposed to the if you do go and you just kind of suck it up. Um, I think that's what she was trying to figure out, but yeah, there's curiosity. But I mean, it was, it's not like it was a Shabbat dinner that the whole Hever were getting together for Shabbat dinner. This was a Sheva Bracha specifically for him. Yeah, I think she was curious. I think that was... I think that was the main reason is like, yeah. let's see, you know, what does she have that I didn't have kind of thing? Like, you know, yeah, I think She's it, 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 it definitely was strange for her to come, I think. But um, no, mm-hmm. to have like your immediate ex, most recent ex-girlfriend come to your Shabbat Rock, it feels strange. Um, okay. Yeah, they are friends, but I, it's, it, I don't know. This feels like, yeah, Michael. I have a techie question for you, Josh. We've talked, we've discussed Sheva Brachot between Shugim and in Talmud uh, a lot in the last six months or so. And I thought the general practice nowadays, and obviously not in the Haredi community, is that Sheva Brachot is the first part of the marriage ceremony and it's all done together. So and I know this is, is not. Is this a Haredi s- custom? It's different. No, so. Good question. That was the one of the other topics we wanted to talk about with Shavu Brachos. Shavu Brachos are two different things. So at the wedding, there are two parts of the wedding. The first part is Kiddushin, which is the ring. And the second part is Nisuin or Eris, you know, Yechopa, whatever you want to call it. Nisuin, Chopa, which is under the Chopa saying the Shavu Brachot, saying the seven blessings over wine and so forth, right? That's part of the wedding ceremony. Additionally, there is a custom for the first seven days post-marriage for 
a couple to gather, and some people do it all seven days, some people do it just a couple times, so it's going to be a lot. But to, for people to host Shavarachas, which is not the wedding, it's sort of a celebration with friends and things like that. And the idea is you need at least one person at the meal to have not been at the wedding. It's called Panim Chadashot, sort of new faces. And then if there's someone who wasn't at the wedding, then you say the Sheva Brachot. Though I think there actually isn't the order not exactly the same, like one person changes order from. So it's that when people talk about Sheva Brachos or Sheva Brachot, typically they're not talking about the wedding. Usually they're talking about those post wedding get together meals. Um, and sometimes people host like huge Sheva Brachos. I'm like, I'm going to do a smaller wedding. And rather than like inviting all of these different groups i'm gonna like travel around the country to different places and, and do that kind of thing so it's also a great way if you're having a wedding in one place where maybe the bride is from but the groom is from another place then you travel to where the groom is from to do the sheva bracha for a week and that way the people who couldn't travel maybe the family that couldn't travel they now get to be part of the wedding celebration just it just you know as well it can it can be very exhausting though you're like trapped right you're newly married and all of that and now also traveling <laughs> like every day can, it's like it can be a lot which is why a lot of people will, are like don't do all seven days and things like that um Sure. Yeah. okay and it's also the time when husband and wife are not supposed to be together you know intimate whatever so the chevrolet is usually in the evening and when they're with people and Things like that. Right. So, right, I think the idea that Siri is getting at is that um, after the first time a couple has sex, the woman enters a state of Nida, even if she's not actually a virgin. She's halachically considered, right, to be a virgin and to have Dom Batulin. Dom Batulin, yeah. And um, I was, it was Batulin or Batula, but I think it's Dom Batulin. You're right. Yeah. Um, and so as you're really touching on, like, so sometimes it's kind of like, okay, well, now they can't be together for this next week. Let's, like, just keep them occupied and have a meal and celebrate and stuff like that because, like, they're not able to touch each other anyway. I hadn't heard that as a reason, but I wondered about that. So, like, that it's, totally it's funny sense. that you say you had never heard that as a reason because the reason I'm chuckling is because that's always the reason I've heard. And it's oh. hysterical to me that you that you think that people who have never touched each other ever, right? So now they they've like touched we think have had sex once, and all of a sudden you need to plan seven parties so that they can keep their hands off each other. That is ridiculous. Well, it's <laughs> also so I mean I, this has come up it's come up a number of times in Talmud class where I have spoken about how like often people actually don't have sex the first night correct because of the fact that like they've never right. touched each other. Right. much less like been sexually intimate with one another. So often actually people don't have sex the first night. They're like, let's spend a couple of days like b- developing some sense of physical intimacy before now and then having sex and, and needing to be apart from for 12 days, you know. But so. Sue Ray is correct that that is one of the reasons that even though I'm making fun of it, it is one of the reasons that people that people make it into such a big deal because if you're not supposed to be intimate with your partner, you at least can do all these other things that will bring you joy and, and, you know, happiness surrounding, um, 
surrounding your life as a married couple. It the the order is different. Um, it's also different from the chuppah to birkat zone at the wedding. Um, the first time I was ever asked to do shavar bracha at birkat zone, I had done it many times under a chuppah, and the first time I was asked to do it at birkat zone for my best friend's wedding, I was completely thrown off because I had never seen the order, and I just. I knew, I knew the words because I had said them before, but never in that order. And sometimes when you know things kind of by just doing them like muscle memory, you just get flustered. And I was sitting right next to my dean who then told me that I should go over it the next time that I'm asked to do Bear in public. And I was like, thank you. I've been a rabbi for two years, but thanks. Um, she meant very well. She's a lovely lady. I like her a lot. Um, okay, Norm. Um, the Rebbets and Yungreis used to always talk about that as a principal reason for doing the Shevet Brachas. But usually um, one doesn't hear about them at the wedding under that name because, we're, you know, it's just part of the ceremony. <coughs> the exception would be the time I went to a wedding in Cleveland where they did Arba Brachas. It was a reform service, and oh. they had eliminated all of the references to Eretz Yisrael. Oh, interesting. Okay. I thought you were making a joke, and I was like, do no. I not understand something about it? Was the, it was the Arab Brachas. I remember coming back and telling a friend that the cantor did a beautiful rendition of the Arba Brachas, and she says, the Arba Brachas? Wow. And I said, yeah, Arba Brachas. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Karen, do you not understand what that means? Is that why you're doing that? So the Sheva Bracha means seven. So there are seven blessings. And then what, what Norm is saying, which I thought he was, I thought probably you were making some kind of like sports joke that I didn't understand about Cleveland, Ohio. Um, but what he was saying was that there were, that they did Arba Bracha, that they did four of the seven blessings to make sure that they didn't do the three other blessings that made <laughs> it, um, of Israel. So I can't think of the third. What's the third one that mentions Israel? I, I don't remember. I was just so astonished by the whole thing that, Remembering it is what really yeah, yeah. stuck in my head. Norm, if I may, why would they skip? That's strange. Am I sounding naive, but it sounds awfully strange to me. You know, at one time, many Reformed congregations were not comfortable with Zionism. And I suspect that's where this custom originates. In the particular case, these people belong to what in Cleveland is called the Temple, which was founded by Rabbi Abihel El Silver, who was one of the leading reform Zionists in his day. So I don't know why they did it that way, but that's what they did. It's um, interesting. It's interesting because I'm looking at them right now. The the last three, well, number five and number seven. So, um, but number both say things about Israel. Well, five says Zion and seven says Yerushalayim. But six doesn't. Um, but it says Gan Eden Mikedem. So maybe because it says Mikedem. I don't know. It, it, interesting. It would be interesting to know if those were the three that were left out. Because the other ones, um, I, I wonder I, I if no any of them had to do with um, Yotzer Adam. Anyway, I'd be very interested to know what, what four they chose. If Rabbi Pernick's father was here, maybe he would know what four they sometimes choose. That's funny. Well, he, I actually sent my Rosh Shiva a question from my dad today. He said he's officiating at a wedding where the bride, she can't, she only can drink water or tea as liquids. She can't drink wine, grape juice, any juice, anything that's not water or tea. 
Okay. <laughs> so I guess what what this what to do under the chuppah for that. We didn't talk about the the, the blessings, but we did talk about the beverage. So what was the answer? It's a couple options. The bride doesn't have to drink, and also you can use beer, so you can use tea, essentially. Okay. Tea is just to see it, whatever. But yeah, I guess the bride doesn't. Have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, Other thoughts or questions about about Sheva Brachot? Renee mentioned to me that she thought the thing with the box was really cute. Yeah, it was really cute. It also reminded me of like a camp icebreaker, but um, um, but it was a really cute idea for a couple. And they said it it made it more personal. I think it made it more personal for them, especially since they're like a chevra anyway. It's like their close circle of friends made it more personal. Yeah, Yeah. and they said such lovely things, which was so nice. Um, I'm a fan. Did anybody, this is not Jewish or halachic, I just am curious. Did anybody think it was bizarre that um, Hodaya announced for engagement and Amir and Yifat announced that they were pregnant at someone else's Sheva Brachos. Anybody <laughs> else think that was weird? No. Well, once one was... did, then the other one. It's sort of like, okay, everything's... Wait, Denise oh. didn't think it was weird. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, it's my first time on the computer, so I don't know how to raise my hand digitally yet. Oh, okay. I'm trying, and I almost left the meeting by accident. Oh. Um, but, no, I thought it was really cool because it was sort of like this feeling that joy is effusive. And like one person feels happy and open and it, and it just sort of filtered out. And then the more, the more that they shared, the more close they felt. And then that created more sharing and love. And Oh, I love that. That is not how I felt at all when I watched it. So that's <laughs> a lovely way of thinking about it. <laughs> it would be different if it was like at the wedding. I feel like at Sheva Brachot, it's sort of a secondary celebration. I feel like that's fair game to me. That seems... <laughs> Fair game. Just like announce yeah. all of your life stuff. Like, don't do it at someone's wedding, but at someone's show about it, I feel like it's fine. Hmm. Yeah, I know somebody who did it at a wedding, and it was like awkward. Yeah. R- yeah. Rules to live would... by with Rabbi Josh Pernick. That's our next class. <laughs> um, I should just teach that as a class. Just like. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, uh, <laughs> Debbie and Steve. <laughs> well, so, I mean, while it was sweet and lovely and all the simchas and all that, both the men were feeling very unhappy that their spouses were not announcing their simchas, you know, because it made them think that, well, do you really want this? I mean, mm-hmm. you won't, you won't tell your friends, your best friends. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I did feel bad for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yes, I did. Denise, that was the first thing I told him. <laughs> um, Denise just asked me if I told you about the bracha teaching from Shabbat. Um, I don't think you said what it was, though. But I can send it to you. Um, the sushi piece. Uh, did anybody have any thoughts about Rayut allowing? Um, I don't even know her name. Did we ever know her name? Rifki. What? what <laughs> Rifki. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, I never. <laughs> Um, you think that would be a name? I don't remember. Um, uh, anybody think of how that, so did everybody catch what was going on with the sushi? So they needed, I, when I watched this, I texted Riley Karnick, no one needs Haredi sushi. That is like the most ridiculous thing in the world. Of course you need Haredi sushi. Bugs and fish. There's a whole thing about bugs and fish. Okay. You don't need Haredi sushi. But only buy Haredi sushi. No, 
<laughs> you <don't> know. <laughs> um, but what happened was she didn't bring uh, Haredi sushi. She brought, what did she say she brought? Mahadran. She brought kosher. There like, is no Haredi sushi. Meaning the only the only sushi place is not under her. Uh, under oh, her oh yes, yes, right, correct. So, sushi Rehavia, I assume that's what they got it from. I lived across the street from Sushi Rehavia. There's a few of them, but yeah. Yeah, okay. And, um, and she brought it and she was told that they couldn't put it out because it wasn't what's called badats, fine, great. But then it was still in the kitchen and this now Haredi couple came in and the wife was very excited that there was sushi and Rayut prompted her to eat it. And I was just curious if people had thoughts about that. Norm, did you want to say something? You don't have to talk on this topic, but did you want to say something? Yeah, I, I, uh, it, isn't there a custom of not announcing that you're pregnant? That just at a, some point in time it will become apparent, but that people don't announce it because it's, it's, it's bad luck or, or, or tempting fate or something? In Judaism? Yeah. I, I've never heard that specific in Judaism. I know, at least in my circles of both friends, and I remember this with my own mom, because there are three kids that came after me, um, that there was a certain time in which they wouldn't announce that they were pregnant, like for health reasons. But um, I never knew that to be a Jewish thing. But maybe someone else knows. I don't know. Because it seems to me I, I knew people who wouldn't buy baby furniture or other equipment before the baby was born. Yes. Yeah, there's all kinds of like Ayn Hara kinds of things like around that. Yeah. Yeah. Around buying furniture and yeah. But I don't know if that's the same as telling. Like I I know that like my mom never had a baby shower, for example. So stuff Hmm. didn't come into the house until there was a baby um, for the same like superstitious type reasons. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the same category as telling. I don't know. It'd be interesting to look into. I've never heard that before. I mean, I think it's part of the reason, like, when someone says they're pregnant, you don't say mazel tov, you say b'sha'a tov. Kind of like, yeah. It's all, right, like, sort of, it's not a done deal. You know, it's, uh, you know, may it all work out kind of thing. You don't know? usually just say b'sha'a tov and not say mazel tov about That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. gu- so it's less, it's sort of the opposite of school, right? School is like for good things. I don't think it could be bad things. More like the Ayn Hara. Yeah, there's like things about not, right, not buying, not overly preparing for for a baby because something bad might happen. Also, even by birth, keep in mind, like childbirth was, had a much lower success rate back in the day than like an hour day, thank God. Like, women used to die and children used to die in labor much more frequently. So like, it was like, really like, don't, you know, like it made sense. Like don't, don't overly prepare. You just, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so. Yeah. Esther, do you want to say Just unmute first so we can hear you. Yeah, I had a few questions. First of all, about the sushi. She said she brought it from a place that was glad everything, everything that there was supposed to be before bringing it into the house. Is there a different place to buy sushi if somebody is ultra-Orthodox? So, go ahead. And the other so, thing, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, so Hodaya and, uh, and Avri went to a place that was like glots everything to mm-hmm. get their food. With Reut, basically, Nati never said anything to her about you know, Ruth didn't know that 
that he had become Haredi and married a Haredi woman. So as opposed to Hodayah, who was told that and made sure to buy lots, etc., Ruud was just like, oh, he got married. Let me pick up a sushi platter. But it was just regular kosher. It wasn't, maybe it was maha, whatever. Mahadra Banapadats. Mahadra. Oh, yeah. oh, so Mahadra Banapadats. Okay. Yeah. okay. And the other question about about not buying baby furniture and things like that, is that, I, I, I'm not, excuse me, not announcing the pregnancy. Is that superstition or is that halacha? Superstition. Definitely, yeah, definitely not halacha. So we say like ayin hara is like the, the evil eye, right? So that yeah, anything ayin hara related is uh, I would put in the category of superstition. You know? So it's not a law. I mean, I know that very very religious people, women do not t- announce their pregnancy until until they sort of have to. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never heard that actually. Yeah, I have also never heard that. Yeah, well, I I I did know that. So. Hmm. Yeah, Denise. Just to chime in on the hiding pregnancy thing, it's a big thing. And people buy like different style dresses and they stand differently and they do all kinds of stuff. And then one day they're just huge. And like, (laughs) wow. Yeah. And there's like a lot, a lot of effort put into concealing the pregnancy. Hmm. And also the number of children. That like is this your first preg is this your first pregnancy or is are you having a boy or a girl that kind of thing all they of that never know that they, they don't never know that well they know how many kids they have but they don't know yeah the hopefully <laughs> yeah. yeah hopefully they know the number of kids um, it's funny because yeah. so my sister did something different for each of the kids so for the first they didn't find out what they were having for my niece and then for my nephew they found out and did like a gender reveal thing you know. I don't know, four months. It was in like Thanksgiving and he was born in March. So like four or five months and they did a gender reveal. For this one, they found out but didn't want to tell anyone, which is like a really, really hard to pull off slash kind of. And they were bad at it. Yeah. But it's like when you're planning, when families trying to plan like when they're coming into town, (laughs) you know, like there's a difference between saying it's going to be on the eighth day versus like we can do it whenever, you know, it's like a pretty... (laughs) Though I will say, at least in in egalitarian communities, which I when when uh, I think we've told you this before, but Josh's brother-in-law and I grew up together, so we're very we're very close. And I got the whole runaround of we're not going to tell you what we're having. Fine, totally fine. But then every time they would talk about this baby who didn't have a gender, it was very obvious what they were having. Um, and the in in like in our community, if someone were to say we either we're not finding out or we're not going to tell you what we're having, but on the eighth day, God willing, everything's healthy. We're going to have a baby naming of some kind that actually works in an egalitarian so do that. No, right, so, I mean, Yeah. Even in uh, Orthodox community, people will sometimes do that. And be, oh, they uh, do it's like that on the eighth day? Maybe not. I mean, if it's like a Thursday, maybe I've certainly seen it. Okay. No, I have, I have yeah. a friend. No, I, the friend who did it, it was a delayed one. So it, I had a friend recently who was, you know, modern Orthodox, liberal, but they, I mean, it was a delayed baby naming in the, in the email. It was like, it was very clear, like, we're not going to announce what it is, show up that morning, and then you'll find out kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I feel like in, 
I don't know how we got on this topic. It has nothing to do with anything that happens in the show. But um, I feel like in, in today's modern world where you're trying to give a name to the baby on the eighth day, no matter if it comes with circumcision or not, um, that does, it does work uh, to be able to say. We anyway, pre- yeah. Go, no. We had prepared a beautiful Bris Hashim service to use with um, a daughter. And then we kept on getting yeah. sons. And that's been for two generations now. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what my, my best friend also did that as soon as she started pushing, she assumed that eight days from then, if everything went well, they would, they would have something. Um, all I was going to say about the sushi piece, and this is the reason I brought it up is, um, I think that, that kashrut becomes kind of, uh, I don't know, a way of, of overemphasizing your religiosity in a way that's not necessarily important to flaunt. Um, that when you, yeah, exactly. That when you show up with something like even Hodaya and, um, Avery were kind of making fun of it. They, they kept saying like, this is the utmost kosher, right? They were, they were using it the actual terms, but when she, when he, she got back into the car and he said, what do you have? She said some kind of schnitzel, I think, and, and sushi, but she was like, oh, but it's like the glot kosher, badak, like the, the, you know, the most kosher of anything. And she doesn't care what she's eating. Right. So there, there is a little bit of like, uh, um, I don't know what the word is. Like there's, there's a way in which you insert yourself as a religious person or as a knowledgeable person or not based on the level of kashrut that you keep. Um, and in that moment where Rayu really prompted, um, the wife to eat the sushi, I mean, I personally would also eat the sushi. There's nothing wrong with it. But the the fact that she knew by that point that it wasn't okay, that's not that's not the right thing to do. Even if you you believe deep down that that sushi is like the most kosher bite you'll have all evening, it's not it's not okay if someone else's values are different than yours to to assert yourself in a way that they're trusting you and you've now broken that trust. So I, I did not like Rayut in that moment, whether or not I think that the idea of like Haredi sushi is necessary, which obviously I don't, I, I still don't think that it was the right thing to do, even if I believe it to have been a kosher piece of sushi. Well, one thing that I think is interesting is they touched on how like there is no Badat sushi. Right. So like, it's interesting. Like, I wonder what Rift. Oh, that she ate it. You mean? In but like in seeing a sushi yeah. platter, that she's not like, where did you find sushi? <laughs> like, there is no Haredi, but not sushi. She's like, oh, yeah. sushi. Maybe like, she's called Chuba and doesn't know. Well, it could be. That could be. I mean, maybe she just assumes that if if everybody else is bringing this, you know, a, a meal of a certain standard that this person who's lived this life longer than she has, you know, brought something that she could eat. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Denise. I, I feel like this is something Rebecca would say if she was here today. But it was sort of mirrored in a way. Having her sample of food that was forbidden was like a little bit like what was happening, mm. you know, behind the scenes. Mm. 
Yeah, that's yeah. A, very, a very good connection. Interesting. Or maybe a little bit of Rayut saying like, I got to, I got to, I mean, it, it's not clear that the woman knows that Rayut and um, Rowie had any kind of relationship. But she for sure doesn't know. Yeah. So I was sure. I don't know. No, no, no. I agree. Yeah. With I don't think she knows. It didn't also because like she me. doesn't think in terms of people have gone out on dates more than three times. Right. Yeah. You know, right. so. But also like, it's interesting because in that comedy world, I was like, people don't have cross-gender friendships. Like it's, so even the fact that like, and maybe that's why Roe was so nervous. He's like, like, it's, it's strange that like you're friends with these people, but like, you know, like, but then she ended up being totally cool with it, which was like kind of surprising actually. Oh, you mean that he had female friends in that group? That, like, part of his social cover in Jerusalem was, like, half male, half female. Like, mm. that would be not very all. strange. And not all religious, Hoday. I was wearing pants. Except, right, except that they, she commented how Avri is a Yerei Hashem, you know? Which I loved. I loved that <laughs> moment. You're laughing. I thought that was such an endearing moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it, it like in one moment showed just the complexity of what religious life is, right? You can, mm-hmm. you can believe that you have to eat badat sushi, which I still don't understand. And you can believe. Fish can have bugs in them. Okay. And you can believe that, that you have to wear your, your wig now a certain way, or you have to have clothes down to a certain length and all these things. You might have all of those rules, but that you can still see a person who's clearly secular, who's trying to make an effort, who loves his partner, who's a good person, and see the godliness in him. And that, I loved that line. I thought that was such a powerful moment. Um, and I think, we don't know yet, but it's possible that she, she, she really just said it without knowing much about him at all, and really just reading into his character. I, thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot about it, and I loved that moment. Any other? We've now brought up three topics, which Rod Carney didn't know that I was going to bring up the sushi topic because he would have told I me not to. I figure we'll kind of go. I, yeah. I sort of assume. But, okay, so we first talked about, okay, yeah, WNC. So, so I just want to go back to this whole thing. This When I was growing up, there was no Paz Yisrael. There was no Halab Yisrael. And yeah. I feel, and like when we come up to LA and we go buy kosher meat, there's the, the Beit Yosef. And then there's the, you know, all these different ones that have been blessed by different rabbis. And I feel that rather than bringing the community together, it separates us and it, and, and it results in yeah. some, some people feeling superior to others because, you know, because they can only have Jewish hands touching it. A hundred percent. Also yeah. when, when, um, the Hasidism started off, right? One, there were sort of three areas of things where they made changes that ended up causing a, a really strong split between followers of like, you know, the Baal Shem Tov and, and Misnagdim. One of them was, was Shita, um, the type of knives they used for Shita. I think it, it was the Nusach, right? The prayer service that there's an, a, you know, a different Nusach, different Shita, and I forget the third. But like it does create different like right, it, it, if you're saying oh the knives need to be a certain way then that means you know Hasidic people can't eat non-Hasidic people's shkita and vice versa 
right? So it, it does serve very much to, to sort of divide communities. Um, so and even, maybe that's part of the point. You know? Even hexures, right? And depending upon which hexure, in California, if you try to print out a list of California hexures, you'll go crazy. I mean, everybody on this Zoom probably has their own hexure. I mean, when you when you look through that list, it is just, it's crazy making because then you have to look up the rabbi and do I know that rabbi and should that rabbi really be saying to Trader Joe's that those things are, and it, what's a star and what's a tablet and what's a California? It's just, it is really crazy. And then you get started on California wine. Forget it. And then, <laughs> easy. Uh, and, um, and when you go to the different, what I thought you were going to say, Debbie, is when you go to the different restaurants at, in Los Angeles, really anywhere, but kosher restaurants, one of my favorite things after I learned about kashrut in rabbinical school, like really learned the halacha of kashrut in rabbinical school, my favorite thing is when a dairy restaurant says glot kosher. Well, that's not a thing. Um, your dairy products are not glot kosher. They might be very kosher, but glot they are not because milk does not have lungs. So one of the things that I, that to what you're speaking of is that these levels, the, the different, um, vocabulary that we use around kosher eating is, does show a, a type of standard and hierarchy to where we place ourselves on the, the kashrut spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, sushi, for example, is one of the things that when we were learning about kashrut, we were told is actually one of the safest in terms of keeping kosher. One of the safest things to eat, right? Pernick is trying very hard. To I try not to find my name in We've had this conversation way too many times. Um, you can you can mute yourself and make fun of me behind the muted thing if you want. Um, uh, that to eat sushi in a non-hexured restaurant is one of the safer things in terms of kashu to eat because it is, don't nod your head at me, because of the way in which it is prepared hygienically, but also because it's cold. I'm not going to go into all the halakha about it right now, but the reason that then watching this episode that they were talking about even Mahadran sushi, I mean, sure, fine, great, Mahadran sushi. I'm, it's, I'm sure it's the same as, you know, Sushiko and Mashuga down the street. But when you then talk about having badats, like the most haredi of symbols around your food, sushi, it just like it becomes a ridiculous thing to me. So those fences around our Torah are prevalent in all areas and kashrut is a big one. Now you can say anything you want about sushi, Josh. It can be your turn. Don't eat sushi in a chef restaurant. Knives are knives are used with crabs so <laughs> don't don't need it okay. uh yeah michael I'm just, just going to say that in montreal we have i gather you do in los angeles as well yeah kosher sushi restaurants yeah we do well, they actually sell more than it's a good place in montreal. Sushi, but they you're always called but it's good yeah, we, we do. We have kosher sushi. I think the point, the, and again, I'm not going to get into it. You haven't talked in Montreal. It's not our topic, but the, the point that, that my teacher was making when he was teaching us the halakha in terms of transfer 
uh, is that if something is cold, the transfer of it, and also the way that they make sushi, which is wiping down the knife between the different fishes, fish, fish, um, uh, is sufficient for something that's cold as opposed to something is hot. So like if you were eat, if you were to eat like a tempura roll, that's a whole different story. But if you were to eat, just stop shaking your head. But if you were to eat, but if you were to eat, okay. But if you were to eat like just vegetarian or just fish without anything hot, it's it's a different type of transfer. And Ryan Parnick says it's not true, but he can take it up. If you were Sparty, it would be true. If you're Ashkenazi, it's not. Oh, um, you don't know. Uh, I'm saying if you're Sparty, it's true. Oh. If you're Sparty, that's fine. Uh, if you're Ashkenazi, knives, there's an idea that even when it's cold, knives, because they exert pressure on something, absorb taste and transfer. And- but why, why, if you're not, if you're Sephardi, it's okay? Sephardim are lenient with cold, um, are more lenient when it comes to knives with cold things. So I know there's a conversation I had with a friend who's Sephardi when I lived in Charleston, because a lot of people go to a fish market in Charleston to get fish, and they, and they actually had a kosher knife and cutting board set. So like when people came to get, you know, fresh fish to get it filleted, you know, they would go and this guy, they had their own knife and, and cutting board or whatever. And this Israeli Sardi guy was very firm, but he said to them when they, you know, he was like, for me, you could just wipe it down. You don't need the separate knife because Sardi hold that um, as long as the knife is wiped down, you can use the same knife for treif and for, um, for like, you know, crab and then for Tuna. tilapia. Um, for Ashkenazi, not the case though. It's all in the same, like, paragraph, so to speak, not actually, but, like, all in the same spot in the Shulchan Aruch. It's just that one is said by the Ashkenazi Posek and one is said by the Sephardic Posek. So it's not, when you're learning halacha, you're seeing both. And then if you are, if you are choosing to only hold by your, um, by your, genealogy, I guess, um, then you would only hold by the Ashkenazi on all things. You can't pick and choose. Um, and if you're going to hold just by Halakha, which is in the Shulchan Aruch, then you would have both opinions in front of you. Right, <laughs> Because I had a very fun time with me making all of this suck. Okay. Any other, anything else I can say that Rai Pernick will disagree with? There was something I was going to say kasher-wise before, but I, figured, I don't remember what it was, so... Um, not about fish, but eh. they they made a point of the kitchen though of mentioning of serving only the vegetarian sushi. Yeah, she asked the, about the vegetarian sushi because she was pregnant and the fish sushi. Mm. And the other thing I thought was interesting is when uh, Reut uh, suggested that she dip the sushi in the sauce which Reut had used. In the kitchen <laughs> with fish and everything else. Yeah. So if she was worried about the contamination of the fish having been in the sauce, that could have been a shame. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think the issue of her eating the sushi period <laughs> was, was a big, a big deal, but, but it's possible that she wouldn't have wanted to use the sauce either. Okay. Well, have a great week. Enjoy wherever you're going to eat your sushi and uh, we will see you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.